The Lions Share Indie Film Podcast. Our guest today is Blake Robbins. You might remember him from his work on The Office. He played Tom Halpert. And yes, I do mean the The Office. Uh, most recently, he's directed a film called The Sublime and Beautiful that won a number of awards recently. And you can see him in the new Taylor Sheridan film, Wind River, uh, playing opposite Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner. So we're here to talk with Blake about his new film. It's called The Scent of Rain and Lightning. It's an adaptation from a best-selling novel by Nancy Pickard. It's a beautiful Midwestern noir about family politics, small-town power struggles. There's a healthy dose of murder mystery thrown in as well, and, of course, a brilliant twist ending. So, Blake, I'd like to ask what it was like to develop this film from a novel. Um, what was the adaptation process like? I hadn't read the book, so when I looked at the movie, I was purely looking at it as a, as a movie and, and, uh, and I wasn't beholden to what, you know, they may have tried to, you know, hang on to from the book out of, you know, the fact that they liked the book and they liked Nancy. So I was able to actually add some value in, okay, forgetting ever that there was a book, how do we make this work as a movie? And fortunately, I had some nice conversations with Nancy. She, uh, she had watched The Sublime and Beautiful at this point. And we talked about the approach and she was all on board, which was wonderful because not every book author is is open to the process of making a movie from their material. Um, there were things that just weren't going to be able to happen at, at our budget size, things that we thought were more effective in a novel that were a little bit less effective in a, in a movie. So, so then it became kind of a you know, a three-headed monster of the writers of the script, me, and the writer of the book, and we just collaborated from there. See, the author was was involved to a degree with the production, is that right? Um, she was up until production, I would say, and she came and visited, but she was pretty pretty receptive to the ideas. She read every um, every draft of the script. Every, every time there was a new script, they would send it to her, and she would give them feedback. Um, I wouldn't always, uh, hear that feedback. Most of that process had happened before I got involved, but, uh, she was very open to the idea that, um, each, each artistic endeavor would have its own sort of life. It's be its own creation. And, and now I have gone back and read the book. I didn't read the book before I made the movie. <laughs> I kind of saved that point of view and, 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 and objectivity for the movie. Um, uh, and I've shared and, and, you know, I'm thrilled to share that she loves how the movie turned out, loved the casting, loved the, you know, you know what we did with her story. But um, I would say the two are now companion companion pieces. It's not a literal uh, adaptation. It's not a word for word. It's 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 definitely its own its own living breathing thing. But uh, if you, if you see one, I highly recommend. If you've seen the movie first, go read the book. It will it it would be a uh, I think an enjoyable process for anyone who responds to the movie. And likewise, the people that have seen the book who have now seen the movie seem to really respond to it as well in its own right. Yeah. I was just fascinated by that dynamic. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, particularly in the indie circuit that we kind of cover, there's not a lot of productions that actually uh, work off books that have done well. <laughs> Usually, you know, uh, have written something and self-published it and then decided to turn it into a screenplay. But unicorn, we're a bit of a unicorn that way. And the fact that this book, for some reason, hadn't gotten swallowed up by the Hollywood machinery and was still available to them and that these guys, you know, found it on their own. They, they, they heard a they heard a I think it was a um, 
a news broadcast about, you know, books that uh, needed to be made into movies and hadn't. And, and hers was on the list. And, and uh, Casey's wife actually went out and read the book and then turned to Casey and said, yeah, you should definitely, you know, create a movie from this story. Like Andy Weir is, is already got Hollywood approaching him to do his, his sequel for The Martian been published yet it's not going to get published i think until the end of the year but they're already like offering him money for the right it's, it's ridiculous and and to find something this high quality just as a story and be able to right. have the freedom to create a film that can be a standalone piece of the story sounds phenomenal i'm, I'm getting more and more jealous of your entire project the more i hear about it yeah we we were very fortunate in a lot of ways it was a it was a bit of magic involved um you know I guess one of the most telling magical things is Casey didn't know where Nancy Picard was when he reached out to her people to find out if she would be available to a conversation. And when they told him where she lived, it was, you know, 30 minutes down the road. <laughs> so they were able to go to lunch, at, you know, and that's just kind of some of the serendipity that was involved in the project. It's like, what are the chances of that happening? So, you know, speaking of Casey, when he emailed me the press kit for The Sense Lightning, um, I opened it because we, we review a lot, and right off the bat, the, the names in the press kit were very impressive to me. Um, there's a lot of kind of both old and new Hollywood talent in The Scent of Rain and Lightning, and I'm curious about the casting process. How did you go about finding these actors? Um, did you run them through any, any tests? I mean, how did you select the actors that you did? Um... Yeah, you know, again, we, uh, an embarrassment of riches with our cast. I completely agree, and uh, you know, I, I think we'll we'll go down the names. We've got Will Patton and Bonnie Bedelia, you know, um, playing husband and wife in the movie, and they're a fantastic pa pairing. Um, we've got Maggie Grace, uh, Justin Chatwin playing husband and wife. Um, we've got Mark Weber playing Justin's brother in the family. We've got uh, Aaron Poole playing, uh, you know. I guess friend of the family who, you know, um, also carries his weight, a, a great, a fantastic actor who's in a movie that's doing really well called The Void out there. Um, we were able to get uh, Mike Monroe and Logan Miller. You know, you're talking about some of the newer, newer people in Hollywood. Um, I think uh, what sort of happened was this. Um, my manager... Uh, when I made The Sublime and Beautiful, shared it with a client of his uh, named Maggie Grace. And she responded to the movie and sent an email, a lovely email, about how much she liked the movie to the manager who forwarded it on to me. And that began, uh, you know, a relationship. Uh, you know, uh, not like, I don't think, you know, we didn't talk or sit down and have coffee or anything like that. But eventually an opportunity came up for us to meet and and that meeting went well and we ended up then sitting down and having coffee and she said that she was just a fan of me a fan of my work and if there was ever a situation that made sense she would love to participate in my career to whatever degree that could happen so you know the, uh, you know you flag that in your mind and it wasn't that long after that Casey sent me this movie and immediately i thought oh maggie grace would be a perfect glory in this movie if, if it were something she'd be willing to do. So yeah. I forwarded it on to her and I asked her to read it and she responded to the material. Um, she responded to the idea. We sat down and, and met again and we talked about what we could do with what was on the page. And she became the first person to throw her hat in the ring. 
for the movie and and came on not only as a uh, as an actor but also in the producing realm so when she comes on as a producer and she was new and learning the whole producing side of the game but one of the values that she adds right away is that she has a lot of friends in the business and she can you know speak to other actors and and go through that process and see who else would be interested in the material with her subsequently while all that's going on i had this casting director who i knew and loved uh, deborah dion and we had started talking about how we would cast some of the roles. And the first role after casting Maggie as Lori that we thought about is who do we match as her grown-up adult daughter? And fortunately for me, Deb had a, a really nice long-standing relationship with a young actress who was blowing up named Micah Monroe. And she put Micah on a list of about four or five actresses that she thought might be the right age, have the right you know, things about them that would fit this role. Yeah. Well, I kind of zeroed on, on Micah right away. Um, not only because I thought she looked an awful lot like a grown up daughter of Maggie Grace. And, and I would believe that, you know, that relationally, yeah. but it was about the time that it follows was coming out. And I had seen it follows. And I thought, um, if I could be so lucky to get a, a meeting with her and, and she responded to it, then, you know, I would I would ask her to take the job right away, and that's what ended up happening. Um, I got this meeting through Deb with Micah, and Micah had watched my first movie. See, a lot of this goes back to I was fortunate to have done this little movie that a lot of the actors responded to and decided they would trust me with their performance based on what they saw in The Sublime and Beautiful. And that's kind of what happened. We sat down and we talked for, gosh, I'm going to say a couple hours about the sublime and beautiful and about what I was hoping and planning to do with the scent of rain and lightning. We had Maggie come um, visit with us during that meeting. We had arranged for that. I wanted to see them in the room together. Uh, that conversation went so well that Maggie went on with her day and, and, and Mike and I continued talking and she had to take a potty break. And when she walked out of the room, I turned to a uh, to my casting director, Deb Dion, and said, uh, I'm going to offer her the role when she walks back in this room. And and, and she was so excited because she really, even though she had put together this list, this comprehensive list, she sort of always wanted Micah. And uh, unbeknownst to her, I sort of, once I saw the list, always wanted Micah. So we offered her the role in the room and she, she took it. And um, so then we kind of had this dynamic duo. And I already had been familiar with Brad Carter's work, who is phenomenal in our movie. I seen him in an episode of true detective where i thought he was just captivating and he was not only captivating he was he was kind of exactly what i wanted in this role and i thought if i could get him out of that episode of true detective and put him into this movie and sort of let him do his thing that also would be magical and so as soon as we had maggie and micah on board it gave me a little bit of the freedom to go and get who i wanted for billy because you know, just playing the casting game in Hollywood, Billy was sort of our marquee role. And, you know, we are looking at foreign values and how do we, you know, put together a cast that, you know, that, that the investors are going to respond to. But, but Maggie and Micah both, I, I pitched them both the idea and they both were familiar with Brad and they both thought he was a fantastic choice for the part. So, so they were on board. And then I, I just, I just kind of refused to not settle on, let me meet with Brad Carter. And again, similarly to Micah, we spent, you know, an hour and a half, two hours in a room and I offered him the role before he left. And he said, yes. 
This is a this is a true story. I was watching the screener of The Scent of Rain and Lightning. <clears throat> uh, I actually live in Idaho, so I come down to Utah to do a lot of these podcasts. At the scene where um, Micah's character goes to confront Brad Carter's character on the the porch, I texted Josh and said, "This Brad character, act, this Brad Carter is electric. Like he's he's amazing. Like I love this." Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 got one of those roles that for an actor is very showy, you know, he's the bad guy. But he's got this really interesting dynamic in our story where he's the bad guy, but there's these interesting circumstances that don't make him not a bad guy, but make us care about him or maybe make him make him more human than just an evil guy and uh and Brad was able to walk that balance. Um I think for me they all all the way down the line, you know, to to the Kasha, who played his wife, to uh, to Sarah, who played you know Belle, the the daughter, they all offered the magic of not only the reality and the truth telling, but uh, when you see them on screen, their world becomes fuller than just what you're seeing on screen. You kind of believe the entire world, what's maybe happening not on screen, and 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 you believe in this town, and you believe in this power struggle, and and certainly I agree with what you're saying, which is if any of these things don't um, add up or feel authentic and, and especially a couple of parts like Brad and Micah if, if they don't feel authentic because they are they are extraordinary circumstances and extraordinary you know people are doing the one or two percent thing I mean like if you're if you're if you were to say okay if this was real life would I confront this guy and 98 percent of the population would say no I would stay the heck away from this guy but I believe that that person I see on screen is one of those people that would do the 2% thing. So I continue to stay immersed. I don't fall out of the story. I, I believe in these, these really, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do all of this while not giving away any spoilers. Have you noticed it's, it's kind of handicapping me. I'm doing a pretty good, pretty good job, but, but, but that's what I think is happening. And, and so I, I absolutely agree with you. Brad Carter really anchors us to the reality of this person and what he, has happened to him. That's made him who he is. And without even seeing the fact that he went away to prison, you believe that this guy spent 12 years in prison and comes out the person he is. That that's a, you know, an absolute um, sort of judgment I've made as a filmmaker and Brad made as a character on what the prison system does to a bad guy who goes away to jail for something he may not have done, may or may not have done. You know? Now, you may find this laughable, but I think for most of our audience, The Scent of Rain and Lightning is, they would see this as a big budget film compared to what they're doing. <laughs> You know, you had the the same the same guys score your film as scored uh, Blue Ruin and Green Room. You have all this talent we've talked about. Um, now, <laughs> from from that perspective, do you feel like you had more creative freedom maybe you've had in the past, or do you still did you still strongly feel the constraints of budget and some of the other problems that are just inherent to indie film? Well, I have a different. Well, I come from micro budget. My first film was made for forty thousand dollars. I made it in twelve days, and I don't think anyone who watches that movie would feel any of the constraint. They would feel like the movie is exactly what it needs to be and and how it should be. And I feel like the same um, mindset went into the second film. I feel like your limitations become your opportunity if you allow them to. If you allow them to turn you creatively towards something more compelling, a little more adventurous than I think uh, no one, I don't want anyone to ever look at any of my films and care what it was made for <laughs> or even, you know, there's no handicap to the movie because it was made for maybe in fewer days. You know, we made Scent of Rain and Lightning in 21 days. That's just the truth. 
um, 21, 10 hour days when most movies shoot in 12 hour days, we, we, you know, our reality were that we had short days to a certain degree. And I don't think anyone would ever know that or see that on the screen. Now, both projects, I've been blessed that I had all the creative freedom I possibly could need. Both movies are exactly what I hoped they would be. Um, now the process wasn't that linear. It was a roller coaster for me. And there were days <laughs> during the process where I was like, uh, you're a terrible, terrible, terrible person and a horrible director and you should not have taken this on and you're never going to get it anywhere, you know, watchable, let alone good. So <laughs> I, I just want to be on the record with that because it's unfair to other directors to hear people talk and, and omit that part of the story. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's unfair to us that we're, you know, I read a quote by Francis Ford Coppola that I'm going to bastardize, but it was essentially, he's never met a talent and a, a, uh, someone of talent who didn't question themselves all the time, who didn't question their abilities and whether they could do the job that they've signed up for. Um, but, it, but in terms of the, you know, you're absolutely right. In terms of the creative freedom, Absolutely. And uh, and we did get a lot of people to contribute. I mean, people of tremendous talent. You talked about the composers, but they're also on production. My sound team, my 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 production designer, my um, I, 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 um, I always say you get the film and, and I stole this from someone. So I say it, but I don't know where I stole it from. I stole it from someone. You get the film that you tolerate. And as an actor in the business who'd done a hundred things, been on a hundred sets before I ever became a director, you know, I stole from everyone what I what I admired and and sort of left in the in the in the wake in the past anything that I didn't respond to in terms of how to do this. And so I had a tremendous advantage, you know, in my film schooling of, you know, just stealing from other directors, other creatives, other writers, other other people. And one of the things that I just carry with me is I'm not going to tolerate anything less than absolutely. I mean, someone's going to have to tell me no. So until they tell me no, I'm going to believe they're going to do it. So when I want, so when I wanted uh, the Blair brothers to score this film and we had heard that they were possibly available, um, you know, I dialed into them and, and I talked to them and, and it just made sense. And at that point I didn't want them to say no. And if they had said no, we would have found something else. But thankfully, Believe me, they, for me, they didn't. Now, as a business person who approaches that conversation, I feel like it's my job to make sure that when, when they answer me, whether they're going to work on this or not, that if they say yes, great. If they say no, I'm going to make sure they're going to walk away from the conversation feeling like we're going to kick ourselves for saying no to that. <laughs> I do feel like that's within my power. My, you know, I can't always get people to say yes, but I can make them think that, are we going to kick ourselves because we said no to that guy? I, I will do everything in my power to be honestly frank with people about, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you regret saying no to this. If that happens, <laughs> I go on, I go on record with that. <laughs> we, we're, you're, you're a gold mine of sound bites. Right? <laughs> uh, we've been speaking with Blake Robbins. That's the director of the scent of rain and lightning. Um, a film that we're very excited about. It recently picked up nominations at the Cleveland international film festival, also Nashville film festival. 
Um, Blake, where can audiences watch this? Is there any kind of distribution deal? Like, where should they look if they want to see um, the scent of rain and lightning? Yeah, the dis- well, you know, the, the, the easy answer is the uh, tired old uh, social media answer. If they want to follow us on social media, and uh, hopefully we'll provide you with all the sites, but we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Uh, Facebook is the entire title of the film, The Scent of Rain and Lightning. Um, all lowercase, the Twitter handles and the Instagrams are basically sent rain light. Thank you, Blake. You can see the scent of rain and lightning coming up at the Dances with Films Festival in California, as well as multiple other festivals around the country. <laughs>